Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to Blue Ridge Church, y'all. Thanks for, for those of you in person, online, those of you watching. We just really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to be here or tune in with us, especially with this series we just started last week. And if you weren't here last week, let me just fill you in. We started a series called Sand People, and we're talking about the types of people in our lives that, that rub us the wrong way. It's kind of like sandpaper in our lives like the people who bother us, people who we don't necessarily find it easy to get along with and deal with. And so last week, Scott talked about needy people and how we're supposed to deal with the people in our lives that are really needy and always seem like they need something from us or just needy in general. And this week, we're going to talk about probably uh, the most enjoyable type of people on the planet. It's the type of people who are critical about everything, right? Right? It's the type of people who will point out every single flaw that you have, every mistake that you make, right? In, in the Christian world, we call them prophets, okay? And not the types of people who predict the end of the world kind of thing, but the people who seem to have this God-given knowledge of everything that's wrong in your life or everything that's wrong in the world around them, okay? Anyone have someone like that in their life? Anyone married to that person? I'm <laughs> just kidding. Don't do that. But, but it's true, right? We all have people in our lives that are very difficult to be around or to deal with, to interact with, because they're critical. They're critical about everything. Maybe it's your boss who is critical about every single mistake that you make. You never hear a word from them unless you do something wrong. Or maybe it's you're an adult and your parent, they're still critical of you, of what you do with your time, what you do with your money, when you're going to get married, when you're going to have kids, when you're going to have more kids, how you raise your kids, right? People who are critical about the decisions we make. <clears throat> Some of you truly are married to the most critical person in your life, right? Your, your spouse, they're critical about the way you look, the way you talk, the way you chew your food, the way you clean, the way you don't clean, the way you load the dishwasher, the way you squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube, right? the way you breathe. <laughs> right? They're critical about everything in, in your life, right? And, and there's gotta be some knowledge on our side of, of wisdom on our side of knowing how we deal with those people when they come, right? Whether that's someone you work with, someone you live with, your neighbors, of how we're supposed to deal with and how we're supposed to treat and handle the people who are critical to us throughout our lives. And it's really important, especially if you're a Christian, because of all people, Christians should expect criticism more than anyone else. If you read through the Gospels, especially in the book of Matthew, Jesus says this about Christians, he says that in Matthew 10, 22, he says, you will be hated because of me. He's saying, you're going to be criticized for what you believe, for what you think, for how you live your life, for the things you do, the things you don't do, the things you stand for, the things you refuse to stand for. But it's because of me. Jesus is saying, you're going to, they're going to hate you because of me. And so out of everyone, we need to be, those of you who are here and you're a believer, you need to know, we all need to understand how to deal with the people in our lives that are most critical to us and about us. And it really matters the way we respond. And so if you want to take notes this morning, I want to encourage you to fill these in for the different learnings. But here's learning number one, to ignore the criticism, right? The first way we handle criticism, the critical people in our lives are to ignore the criticism, 
right? Just because someone criticizes you doesn't mean you have to respond. Right? Just because someone says something to you or about you, even if it's not true, doesn't mean that you're obligated to respond. Sometimes the best response is no response at all. And this is probably the hardest one out of the whole list. That's why we started here. Because when someone criticizes you, like, doesn't it create like, anger inside of you? Like, doesn't, doesn't it just create, like, I've got to defend myself. They said something, especially if it's not true, like, you've got to defend yourself. You've got to let them know or you've got to let other people know that that's not true or this is, this is not right or, or that they're wrong and what they criticize us for. But sometimes the best response to critical people in our lives is to simply ignore them, to, to walk away from them, to, to not respond and not let it ruin your day, let it ruin your week or let it ruin something that could be really special and important to you as a person. The Apostle Peter, when he was talking about Jesus, about how Jesus responded to criticism, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 23. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Okay, so when you read through the Bible, Jesus, he was criticized for almost everything. It was almost always by the same people, like the religious leaders who were, you know, the ones who thought they had their lives all together and they thought Jesus, they had these expectations for the Messiah and Jesus didn't meet those expectations. And so they were overly critical about everything he did. Right, if you read through, it says that he was criticized for being a friend of sinners. Right, he, was, he had too many friends who weren't believers for being a drunk, implying that when he drank, he drank too much, at least they thought he did, for being a glutton, Again, kind of when he ate, he ate too much for not living the proper religious life, right, of the, the ceremonies and the customs and the rituals that religious leaders were supposed to follow and, uh, and partake in. And so he was criticized for a lot, for who he hang out with, drinking too much, eating too much, which pretty much sounds like the typical man in his early 30s, right? <laughs> right but Jesus was criticized a lot for almost everything he did. And his enemies were the people who we're supposed to be expecting him and anticipating his arrival as the Messiah. But here's how Jesus responded in the second half of that verse in, in, in the book of Peter. He says, instead of, as instead of responding, what he did is this, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus said, I'm not going to respond to this criticism. I'm not going to to, to have to defend myself. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to be threatened by these people. I'm going to entrust it to God. I'm going to hand it over to God. The word entrust, that's exactly what it means. It means to hand over something of, of great importance to someone else. It's something of, of value to you. Like if you're handing over the keys to your house, you're handing over a lot of responsibility, right? And Jesus is saying, when I'm criticized, I'm handing over the responsibility of the reaction and the response to the Heavenly Father. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to, to, to feel like I've, I'm obligated to say something back in response. Sometimes the best way to respond to criticism is not at all. One time Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 15, and he was talking about hypocrisy. And the religious leaders showed up, and instead of just explaining what hypocrisy was, Jesus pointed them out and used them as an example to, to explain and illustrate what he meant. And so after this lesson, one of the disciples of Jesus came up to him and they were like, oh man, Jesus, I don't know if you, you saw what they would look like when you said that, but they are angry. 
Like, and they are going around now talking, you know what, about you behind your back, telling all these people about this and that and lying about who you are and what you've claimed to be. And he's like, what are you going to do? And Jesus responds to him here in Matthew 15. He says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Ignore them for they're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both are bound to fall. And so what Jesus was modeling for us here, and, and he didn't you know, ignore that, the criticism every single time. We're going to talk about sometimes he didn't in a little bit. But sometimes the best response that Jesus gives to the critics in his life is no response at all. He says to ignore them. Leave them be. There's nothing you can do by responding to this criticism. And so the best thing you can do is hand it over to God. And so in the moments where someone says something to you or does something to you or says something about you, give it to God. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to fight fire with fire. I'm just going to hand it over to God. God, you deal with the revenge. You deal with the response. I'm choosing in this moment not to. But God, if you want to strike that person with a lightning bolt, you are free to do so. This would be a great time, <laughs> right? Right, so, so the model we see that Jesus gives to us is not to feed the fire, not to continue the battle, not to, to always partake in feeling like you've got to respond, you've got to defend yourself in the moment of criticism. Sometimes the best way to respond to critical people is by not responding. Here's the second way, learning number two, to respond with context rather than react with emotion. There's really only two ways that we handle criticism when we have to respond, right? Sometimes we don't respond, but the times we do, there's really only two ways we do that. We can either react or we can respond, right? And those are two very different paths to walk. Typically, what we do is we err more on the side of reacting, like reacting emotionally, right? So if someone says something to us, it hurts, right? It's, it's typically when we're criticized, it's not like fun stuff and good stuff. It's usually you're wrong or you did something bad or you made a mistake or here's what I don't like about you or here's what I don't like about what you said or, or it's some kind of complaint, right? And so it's easy to take it personally. And our common uh, reaction to it is almost like a re yeah, reaction is, is like a knee-jerk reaction, right? Where someone says something to us and we say something right back. Right? They come at us, we go right back at them. And it's not even necessarily something we choose to do, but the emotions we're dealing with cloud our judgment so much that we just, it's like an automatic involuntary response that I've got to say something back. I've got to do something. And, I'm, and typically when you respond or react when it's emotional, you're almost always bound to say something you regret. And it's almost always the case that you make it much worse than it was before. I've heard this saying before, and I thought it was really cool, is when your emotions are high, your wisdom is low. And almost if you think about it like this, there's very few times in our lives where we're going to be really emotional about something, but also really wise about what to do about it. It's usually the other way, right? If, if we're really emotional, our wisdom's way down here. We make some of the dumbest choices in our lives, the most nonsensical choices in our lives when we're most emotional. And sometimes we don't realize the implications of what we're doing because we're so clouded and blinded by the emotion that that certain event or criticism has caused. But Jesus teaches us how important it is to respond the right way, that there's a right way to respond and there's a wrong way. And it's to respond with context to respond in a way where you help explain why you did what you did or why you said what you said 
or whatever it is that they're criticizing you for. Like it's, it's almost like you're painting a picture for them that they can only see this part of it and you're just expanding the picture so they can see, here were the reasons why. Here's why I did what I did. Here's the, the reasoning that I chose this in my life. And so we've got to make a choice when we're criticized. How are we going to handle those criticisms? Are we going to react or are we going to respond? Are we going to just say the first thing that comes to our minds or are we going to take a couple minutes and wait and think through what this means and the best way to respond? See, all of us kind of have our own process of dealing with criticism but you, you could sort of see how you deal with it in the way you respond to other things, right? So, for example, uh, if you are really into sports, especially if you're into good college football, like, you could see this perfectly, happening perfectly, okay? And so here's just a hypothetical, you know, situation. This isn't real. Um, but just imagine your favorite college football team uh, loses their home opener against a team they probably should have beat by 50, okay? Again, this isn't real. I'm just hypothetically saying just put yourself in that position, Okay? What do you feel? Right, when you go to bed on Saturday night, what do you feel in those moments? Right, angry? You're frustrated? You're done, right? I'm done with this team, done with this new coach. I knew they shouldn't have hired this guy, even though I've never played it down in football in my life. I know what I'm talking about, right? And, and we're emotional about it. We react in, in ways that we probably shouldn't. Okay, but then what happens on Wednesday? It's not as bad, right? We, we kind of let our emotions go a little bit. We've worked through those things. We've processed them. We're not emotional in a way where we're thinking those negative thoughts all the time. We've had some time to think through it and clear our minds a little bit. And, and now we're like, all right, it's a new coach, new system. Here we go. Let's give him a chance. Let's let, let's let it cook a little bit and see what happens. And that happens to a lot of things in life, right? We get a chance to, to think through and to respond in a way that's biblical, that it's in line with the way the Spirit of God wants us to live. And we don't react in ways that cause regret. So in our lives, we've got to make that choice. And it's something you see throughout Scripture very often, the ways that people handle criticism. For example, in the Old Testament, there's a story of this guy named Gideon. And there's not actually much about him. There's only like two or three chapters about his story. Uh, but it's in the book of Judges, and he was a judge of Israel. And, and a judge back then wasn't like, you know, sitting on a you know, chair, like slamming a gavel down, making decisions. Even though that was kind of part of it, mostly it was to do with like the military and his leadership in the military. And so in this particular story, he is leading a, a battle or defending himself against the Midians, which is his enemies. And they have an army that's like two to 300,000 soldiers strong. Like it's a huge army. And so Gideon tries to come up with and gather his own army, but he's only able to get about 20,000 people to fight for him. And out of those 20,000, most of them aren't even soldiers. They're just random people or people who can take up arms and they don't know how to fight, no experience. There's nothing that they can call on to actually help them in battle. And so this is what's interesting about the story is God comes to Gideon and he says, 20,000 is too much. That's too many people which is like, what? <laughs> like against hundreds of thousands? And, and God eventually, what he does is he dwindles that 20,000 down to 300 soldiers. 300 of the best soldiers that Israel has. And just like most things in the Bible, it comes down to trust, right? Are you going to trust me? This is God saying this to Gideon. Are you going to trust me that I will fight with you? I will fight for you. I will defend you. I will make sure that if you're faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you and you will be victorious. But if you don't, and you turn to your allies, who which were in this story was the Ephraimites, 
you turn to them, then I promise you this, you will all be destroyed. And so Gideon gets his 300 men together and in the middle of the night goes out and he attacks the Midians. And just like God promised, just wipes the floor clean of these people. Right? Partially, it was that they, they were scared. The Midians didn't know what was happening. And it seemed like that there was more people than there actually were, which gave them an advantage and an upper hand to defeat these people and, and send them scattered throughout the land. And so as the Israelites are finishing up, uh, Gideon calls to his allies, the Ephraimites, and he says, go get those, get the, get the Ephraimites, get their leaders, and, and let them come and help us basically clean up the, the, the battlefield, okay? And so they come, the allies come and see what was going on, and they're just like, what the heck happened? How did you do this with 300 people? And here's their objection. Here's what they did after the battle was over. They came to Gideon, and they said this to him in Judges chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you just call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously. They challenged him. They criticized him for doing what he did, that they didn't think it was right that he would go in by himself and risk not just his own people's lives, but, but, but maybe the people who they were allied with and friends with throughout the region. And so they're like, what is going on? Why did you do this? You did something wrong. Like, like defend yourself. And they got in his face and were critical in challenging him. Now, have you ever had a situation in your life like this where someone challenges you or criticizes you for a decision that you made? And, and that challenging made you just want to like, like give it to him, right? <laughs> like kind of hit him. Like you just, you're just angry. Like why would you even question me? Why would you even ask me that? We all have, Right? Right, especially if you're married, like you've had those conversations. <laughs> One of my first messages I ever spoke, um, I, back when I first started, wasn't here, was at a different church. And when I first started out, I really wasn't that good at putting together a talk. I mean, like structurally putting it together to make sense. And, uh, and so I would take hours and hours and hours and, and pour so much time into these. And I remember this particular talk was, was so good. And in my mind, I was like, if I can just say it right, it's going to be so powerful. God's going to work and move in so many great ways. And so I get up, I give the talk. Things are great. I get people after like, oh, that was a great talk. This God impacted me so much. And, and as I was talking to people after this particular talk, I saw a guy come up to me at the front of the stage. And I'd never met him before, never saw him. And he introduced himself, and I could tell this guy was going to say something, right? And he goes, you know, I, I really liked your message. Uh, I really liked how you talked about how Jesus grew up in the city of Galilee and, and how, all these different things. And, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was, was telling me to come up and tell you this about your talk, which if anyone's ever had someone tell you that, you know what's coming next is typically going to be a little crazy. And he goes, I, I felt like I was compelled by the Holy Spirit to come tell you that Galilee is actually not a city, it's a town. And I was like, okay, um, was that it? Like, is there anything more? Like, out of everything I just talked about, that just talked about this book about Jesus and how he can change our lives and do all these things for us, and the thing that you thought was most important to come up and tell me was that Galilee is a town, not a city. Thank you. That, thank you so much for those kind words, right? Like, that was really helpful. It's going to help me to become a better speaker. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, like, did the elevator not make it to the top floor this morning? Like, something is wrong for you to come up and ask a question like that, especially when the, the entire talk was about something completely different. Now, that's not what I said to him. That's what I wanted to say to him. <laughs> but that would have been reacting emotionally. 
that would have been just saying the first thing that came to my mind. Instead, I responded with context. And, and just an honest mistake, man. I, it wasn't something I focused on. I was focused on other things that I thought were more important. But, you know, you're right. This is true. Galilee is a town, not a city. And, uh, and I repent of my sin. <laughs> but there's going to be people in your life, just like there are in everyone's lives, that will be critical of the choices you make, the things you say, the things you do, some people of everything you do. And, and when it's not appropriate to ignore the criticism, we've got to make sure we respond with context to explain to these people or whoever it is the reasoning why. And that's exactly what Gideon does. In verse 2, it's not on your handout, but in verse 2, what, what he says back to them, he's like, well, the reason I went in, it was because, like, what am I known for? And he's like, you, the Ephraimites, you guys, got, you guys have accomplishments that are to the moon and back. Like, you guys have won battles, won wars, conquered lands. Like, your names will be written down in the history books forever. It's like, you have trophies and medals in your city walls that just identify you as these powerful leaders. Is it a city or is it a town, right? I'm sorry, I don't want to make this mistake, right? But he's like, listen, I, nobody knows me. Nobody knows who we are. We have nothing and so what he's doing is he's providing context to these people of why he did what he did. And here's how they responded in verse 3. It says, at this, their resentment against him subsided. In other words, they backed off. They kind of got out of his face and calmed down a little bit. It's the word in the Hebrew that we would use for cutting someone slack. Right? They cut him some slack. They stopped criticizing him and they understood the bigger picture of what was really going on, that it was more about what God was calling him to do than it was about a personal attack or, or an offense against those people. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who's quick-tempered displays foolishness. I think it's a pretty common theme throughout scripture that it teaches us that the way we respond to criticism matters. It really does. It matters for our own lives. It matters to God. It matters to uh, some of the most important people in our lives. And so when you're criticized and you pull out your phone and you're typing that response, don't hit send, okay? You don't have to. You don't have to do that. You, you can take some time and wait because here's why, and it's learning number three, because most criticism towards you is rarely ever about you. When you understand what criticism is, not that every single time someone's critical, it reveals something else, but, but most criticism in our lives has more to do with an insecurity or a fear of that person than it does about you. It has more to do about something they're afraid of or afraid of other people figuring out or maybe something they're embarrassed by or maybe it's something in their life that they're not very good at or they're not good at other things in their life and they finally found something they're better than you at and so they criticize you for it. Or maybe it's just simply they wouldn't have done it that way and they think their way is the right way and so your way is the wrong way. But what we realize is in the moments of those times where people are critical of us, it rarely has anything to do with us. It has more to do of, about the insecurities and the hurts and the things that that person is dealing with in their heart, especially the people who are overly critical all the time. Right? And so when you think about it, your parents, like if, you, if you're an adult and you have really critical parents... Like the reason why they're so critical of you isn't just because they're irritating people, like you think. 
It's probably because they're afraid that your poor choices in your life will be connected with the way they raised you. Right, that the people will see what you're doing and how you're spending your time and what you're doing with your life. And they will think, oh man, like people are gonna think that, that I was a bad parent or people are gonna think that, oh, mom and dad must not have taught them this. Right, and I get that, I completely get it. As a kid, I did not understand this at all, but as a parent, oh man, I understand this big time now. Because I don't, when, my, when my kids do something dumb, I don't want people to think, probably learned it from his dad. Right, I don't want them associating that with me. And so sometimes that can come off as being critical, right? Because we are afraid that people might think that what they're doing is a response of how we raise them. Right? So my boys, they love doing this. They will go outside and pee on the grass all the time. That's like their way of going to the bathroom. I mean, they'll be upstairs in their bedrooms and be like, I got to go to the bathroom. Run downstairs, go outside, go to the sidewalk, just drop their pants and go pee. And and be honest with you, I don't mind. Like, it's not like a big deal for me. But there are times where they, it's really inappropriate times they do it. They'll go to the front yard and people are walking by, walking their dogs. And there's my four-year-old. Hi! Right? No shame in the world. And that's mortifying. It's like, oh man, those are our neighbors. They're probably going to think, learn that from his dad. <laughs> right? Or worse, learned it from his mom. Right? <laughs> right? It's an insecurity. We're afraid of those things. Or the same with the way where you work. Maybe you have a boss that's really critical of you. The only time you ever hear from them is when you make a mistake. And sometimes we could just associate, well, they're just a jerk. And that could be the case, but it's probably more so that he's probably insecure about his leadership, about his ability or inability to lead a team. And he's afraid that your mistakes will reveal that he's a bad leader. Right? So out of his insecurities, he's going to be hard on you because you represent him. So you see how this works? Like, do you see how a lot of the criticism and the people who are critical about us and towards us, typically it's, it comes from a very deep-seated uh, insecurity about that person? I mean, if your spouse is overly critical of you, you know, that typically reveals not just that you're not good at anything. It typically reveals a lot of really deep disappointments in that person. That they're not happy with where their lives ended up that maybe it's something that's caused a lot of uh, self-confidence issues and they've got nothing left in a tank and the only thing that makes them feel good is when they tear down other people around them, which you just happen to be the closest one because you're married to that person. Criticism and marriage, listen, that is one of, they call it the four horsemen of what leads to divorce. If you're a critical spouse, overly critical spouse, not that you can't have objections or disagree with your spouse, it's not what I'm saying, but when you are criticizing your spouse about everything, and I mean everything, especially in the moments they mess up, that's revealing something a lot deeper about who you are. And in times, we don't see that, right? When we're being critical of other people, we don't see that. We just see as they're wrong, I'm right, I need to let them know. But oftentimes, it has nothing to do with us. Oftentimes, it has more to do with the heart that we have or the condition of the heart that that critic has and it's just spilling out over into your relationship. I mean, even think about Christians. You know, sadly, we don't really have a great reputation of, of being the kindest people, right? We're, we're often known for our criticism and being critics of other people. And, and it's not just because that's how Christians are. It's almost always the same reason, because Christians are uh, kind of weirdly, uh, the way we treat other people can be weird because we'll often hold others to really high standards, 
especially if they've been believers for a long time, will expect a lot out of them. And when they don't meet those expectations, we're critical of their behavior or the critical of the way they're living and the way they're choosing to live their life. And even though you might be right and they might be wrong, right, we still feel the need to go after that person and make sure they know that they're not living the way God wants them to live. And again, it doesn't mean we can't correct. It doesn't mean we can't help people and, and shape them and do what we can to help lead them to Christ. But often what that reveals in our own hearts is an insecurity about who we are in Jesus. Is that we weren't able to live up to that standard. And even though Jesus says that's how he wants us to live, we feel the need to make sure everyone else is doing that. And most of the time we forget to make sure we, we do it ourselves. Right? You, that's been an insecurity of Christians since day one. If you go through the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 15, you'll see that one of the biggest arguments that the early church had was that the religious leaders, the people who were Jewish that converted to Christianity, like the religious, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, the people who converted to Christ, they thought it was unfair that people, that new people were coming to Christ so easily. They didn't think it was right. They didn't think it was fair. They thought that, you know, when you think about a Jewish person, they have to do so much to get to where they were spiritually. And when, so when you compare that to what, what God tells us about faith in him and, and belief and becoming a follower of Christ, it's sort of easy compared to what they had to do. Because if you think about the Jewish culture, if you want to be at the top of the ladder in the Jewish faith, you had to be circumcised, first of all. Uh, you had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament, which I'm not sure if you've even tried to read through the book of Numbers, but you had to memorize it, okay? You had to be above reproach in nearly every area in your life self-control, discipline, with lust, with envy. You couldn't make enough money or as much money as other people. You couldn't pursue the same things as other people. There was a lot that you would have to sacrifice and give up to get to where they were, okay? And so when they saw people coming in, people with no moral standard, people who lived however they wanted to live, didn't do anything to honor God for the, the previous however many years in their life, and they're just coming in and now they're considered equals to me? Mm, I don't know. So they got critical about it. They were such critical people towards new believers or to people who are trying to, to come and hear about Jesus and figure out what it means to follow him. And so in the middle of this debate, the apostle Peter stands up in Acts chapter 15 and he says this, God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we or our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus. What he's saying here is, listen, it doesn't matter what you've given up. It doesn't matter what you've sacrificed. It doesn't matter how hard you work to get to where you are. Jesus is saying, we're done with that. We're all equal. There's no advantage for a Jewish person over a Gentile anymore. There's no more advantage that a man will have over a woman in the kingdom of God. There's no more advantage for the rich people to have over the poor people in the kingdom of God. The gospel makes us equal with one another. And so you've got to deal with that issue you've got in your heart where you don't think it's fair that other people can come to Jesus in an easier way than you did because you did all of this stuff and gave up so much. And, and it created this huge divide between those religious leaders and the people trying to follow Jesus. But like Peter says, let's not stand in the way of these people who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. So 
When criticism comes our way, we can either ignore it, right? probably the most common response is to ignore it, or if we have to respond to it, we respond with context, not in reaction, knowing that, that criticism is not as personal as it seems. And then here's the third thing, and it's learning number four, to listen to the criticism and make a change. Sometimes the best way to handle criticism is by listening to what it is and to making the change that you need to make in your life. Not all criticism is bad. Most of it is. I mean, most people who criticize us probably don't have the best intentions, and especially if it's someone we don't even know. But if everyone's telling you you have a problem, like if everyone in your life is saying the same thing, chances are you got a problem. <laughs> right? We call this constructive criticism. And it's the type of criticism we get when we're doing something we shouldn't be doing and we have people in our lives that help us and walk us through what this not just looks like, but what this actually will mean in your life if you do this or what, where this is going to lead if you keep doing this and living this way. When I was in college, I had an amazing opportunity to go on a missions trip to Costa Rica. And it was in the, the winter of Buffalo, New York, which is like eight months of cold, rainy, wet, like unbearable depression because it's so dark and you can't go outside. And so I'm like, yeah, I'd love to go serve God in Costa Rica. This would be great. Um, and we had a big church. So we were thinking, you know, this would be a great group of people and we'll go have some time to serve the Lord, enjoy a little bit of, you know, friendship and community. Uh, but unfortunately, not many people signed up for the trip, which uh, it was like five of us. And it meant we st could still go on the trip. It just didn't mean we couldn't do certain things that required a larger group. And, and so we were planning on going and getting everything ready to go. And, and then I found out that the five people to sign up were, it was me, and then four other women, all of them single and in college. And I thought, personally, this is a great idea. Like, this would be a great trip. I wasn't married yet, okay? I was a single guy. I'd just become a Christian a couple years before that, so I had never dated anyone you know, that was a Christian. So I'm like, this could be a great opportunity to serve God. <laughs> right? Every guy's like, yes, that was great. <laughs> But then my roommate, he criticized me for it, criticized my judgment for it and called me out on it. And like any other guy would, I was like, just jealous. He's just, just going to serve, serve the Lord with them. What are you talking about? And then my best friend criticized me about it. And then my small group leader said the same thing. And then my pastor said the same thing. Sometimes people are critical of us because they're Right? Sometimes the criticism we get in our lives isn't necessarily the, the, the criticism that just they're, they're insecure, there's something wrong with them, and they're just, they're just jealous of me, or they just don't want me to have fun or be successful. Sometimes it's the sandpaper that just smooths out the edges, right? Helps us fit a little better. and makes us better people. It makes us better husbands and wives. makes us better moms and dads. makes us better kids. makes us better coworkers. It makes us better Christians. Not all criticism is bad criticism. And so even though sometimes we need to ignore the criticism and sometimes when we respond, we help explain to other people why we did what we did, sometimes when we're criticized, we actually need to listen to what they're saying and make a change in our lives. See, the problem is not many of us truly know and feel confident about the people who we accept criticism from. And there's some of us here I used to be just like this, someone, the, people who just please everybody. 
Doesn't matter what they say, doesn't matter who it is, if they criticize me, they correct me, I'm gonna change my life, even if it's not what I'm supposed to do, right? Because we're so intent on pleasing other people in our lives that we don't realize that we're doing it in a way that's destroying who we are. Right, we're, 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 doing, we're, we're spreading ourselves so thin or doing things and communicating our, in a way where we live our lives where we really don't know what we're doing. We don't really know where to go. The book of James just says it's like the wind blowing the, the waves, right? Just the wind blows this way, there goes the wave. The wind blows that way, there it goes. And in James 1.8, he calls those people double-minded and unstable in all their ways. The people who don't understand how important it is to please God and they're so uh, up, uh, intent on pleasing all the, all the other people around them. He says they're unstable which I thought this was interesting because it's the same word that's used to describe someone, someone that the, the Greeks would describe someone who was uh, so drunk on alcohol that they couldn't get from where they were to where they were going, right? And he says, when you live your life to please everyone else and you're listening to every single piece of criticism, everything someone says about you, and you're trying to please them all, you're like someone who can't get to where you're going. You can't stand up on your own two feet. You can't keep balance. You're going from side to side and you're unstable, Sometimes the criticism in our lives are to help shape us and to make us into the people God wants us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for everything you do for us, God. And, and I know that there's so much more that goes into being criticized than just the way we respond. Sometimes it hurts a lot. I mean, there, there's no one in this room who could probably say they have never been criticized to the point where it's hurt them and has caused them to, to really reflect on what they're doing. And so, God, I just pray that everyone here, those who deal with criticism, who have people around them that are critical people, whether that's their spouse, their parents, their coworkers, their employers, their neighbors, their children, God, that you would give them the confidence and the wisdom to be pleasing to you. That's what you tell us in your word, that our purpose is to please you, not people. And so God, help us. Give us the patience. Give us the strength. And give us the wisdom to do just that. Lord, we thank you for everything you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we're out of time, and so I want to thank you so much for being here this morning with us. Real quick, um, there's a couple announcements that I've gotten. Instead of going through those, I want to lead you and direct you to, uh, I don't know if you've seen this on our website yet, but it's called the Top 3. And so every week we update this page with the top three most important things going on on a particular week. And so as you can see, there's group leader signups, some stuff starting with uh, the young adult group, and we've got a silent disco for our middle and high schoolers, which is amazing, okay? And so if you're ever wondering what's going on at the church or you want to get plugged in somewhere, go to blueridgechurch.com slash top three, and every single week you'll get, be given a new set of three things that are the most important things to look at. So if you need anything, please let us know. Fill out that connection card. Uh, send us a message, say hey, but if not, it was great to see you this week, and I hope to see you next. Thank you.